Well, I am excited about chapter 48 as we draw near the end of the book of Genesis because this is really a picture of every one of our lives and one of the great reasons why we should be thankful that the Lord is never done with us. Amen? Growing to the end. The, the praise that we ought to have for the Lord for the progress in our life that begin when we receive Christ, that gift of salvation we talked about this morning, as we become child, uh, children of the Lord, a child of God's grace, as we receive and believe and begin that process of sanctification. If there was ever a case when you might look at someone's life in the Bible and, and you might go, you know, I'm just not sure he's going to make it, that might be Jacob. Jacob is one of those guys that seems to have great capacity to turn the corner the wrong direction pretty much most of his life. And we've now reached the end of Jacob's life, and you're going to see as we finish out the remainder of the book of Genesis that more and more he's referred to as Israel because his life is increasingly more governed by God. He really has reached that place to where he knows his time is short He's on that final journey. He, he's about to take his last breath and go off to be with the Lord or, or he would be in that place that we would call Sheol waiting for the Lord Jesus, but he would die in faith. And, and Jacob has now gotten out to the end of his life and you can truly finally see just a consistent pattern of growth. And, and I wanna share with you before we get moving in Genesis 48 tonight, a passage that, can either be a, an encouragement or it can be a warning. It depends on where you're at. A, a passage that we ought to all have in view in our own lives because each one of us used to be something. In Jacob's case, he was a schemer. He was a heel catcher. He was the type of person that he was always looking for a way around the plans of the Lord a way to get past the things that God had spoken to him. It's like, well, I know you said that, but I'm not sure you really meant that. And so Jacob could be found in most of his time, as we've read about his life, kind of skirting the things that God wanted to do in his life. And if you turn, before we get to Genesis 48, if you turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, a little review for those of you that have been with us in our journey in the letters to the church at Corinth. I want to pray and then we'll pick up in verse 7 here uh, in 1 Corinthians 6 and read just a little bit of 1 Corinthians 6, but let's pray. Father, we thank you for your continued work throughout our entire lives while we're here on this earth. We thank you that you don't give up, that you're never done, that you work with us, and you help us to see things over and over again, how uh, you allow do-overs in our lives. That God, you, you don't cast us off the moment that we uh, do something repetitively. Lord, like in Jacob's life, how we see you patient and kind and gentle. Lord, generous to us all the way to the end. And Lord, we all pray that we would finish the race well. And so God, speak to us through your word. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. 1 Corinthians 6 and verse 7, and it says, Now therefore, Paul speaking to the church at Corinth, the troubled church, it's already an utter failure to that you go to the law against one another. And so he starts talking about some of these problems that were in the church, and one of them was that they were constantly suing each other. You know, they called Jacob and Imrani uh, pretty much all day, every day. It's like they bumped into one another in the parking lot, and they were suing each other for ridiculous reasons. Why do you not rather accept the wrong? In other words, why would you want to sue your brother? Why don't you just make it right with him, see if you can't work these things out without going to the law? Why do you not rather let yourselves be cheated? Paul actually goes so far as to say, look, it'd be better, rather than staining the character of the Lord, it'd be better that you lose the money or lose the thing than stain the character of the Lord. But know you yourselves do wrong and cheat. And remember, he's writing to Christians, the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 6 is writing to believers. He's not writing to unbelievers. He's writing to believers. 
No, you yourselves do wrong and you cheat and you do these things to your brethren. He uses that word that lets us remind ourselves of who he's speaking to. And then he says something, and this is where I want you to kind of lock in on it a little bit. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? And so there are a number of ways that you can look at this statement that seems clear at first glance, and I believe it actually is clear at first glance. But one of the ways that people look at this is this is simply referring to what you once were. And that is obviously very, very true. The unrighteous won't inherit the kingdom of God. But the fact of the matter is, unless you've been redeemed, you remain unrighteous. And so there's a picture here of God's grace coming into our lives. And so he goes on to say, do, you, do not be deceived. Neither fornicators and people who mess around with sexual things outside of a marriage commitment and covenant or idolaters those people who worship things that are other than the lord himself or adulterers pretty clearly that that's talking about someone that's married and having a sexual relationship outside of it nor homosexuals or sodomites so anytime someone tells you that the bible doesn't speak very specifically about that particular sin you can just point them to this one because it's real specific and if you don't get it he's actually talking about those who are effeminate and those who obviously are, you know, doing things that one ought not do. Nor thieves, now notice this, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor partiers, revilers, nor extortioners. None of these people, it says, will inherit the kingdom of God. Now praise God for what comes next, amen? Because if it ended right there, we're all like, oh no but what follows is the beautiful thing that i want to connect to chapter 48 in the book of genesis verse 11 and such were some of you every one of us has a bc a before christ a life that we once were something that we used to be a thing that we've been delivered from or many things that we have been delivered from and notice it does not say that you're perfectly sinless but what it does say is that the child of god is no longer identifying with those things that we once were we may stumble we may have an occasional failure there may be some faults and weaknesses but because of who we are in christ our past lives are being described here what we used to be and while this is not an exhaustive list of everything that you can used to be it is a respectable list that points us towards a very central truth to the passage we're about to look at but you were washed but you were sanctified praise the lord for the sanctifying work of our relationship with god through christ jesus our savior amen that word sanctified means to become saintly or saint-like or christ-like is another way to look at it but you were washed in other words you were you were cleaned up you used to be a mess and the lord scrubbed you in his grace and he set you on the path of sanctification. And so you used to be something else. You used to be an unredeemed sinner on your way to someplace nobody should want to go. You, you used to be that person who couldn't say no to sin because you had no victory over sin in your life. But God came into your life and begins this process of washing you and making you saint-like sanctified but you were justified in the name of the lord jesus by the spirit of our god praise god for progress amen nowhere in this passage does it say that god's done instantaneously with the scrubbing process hallelujah amen he, he keeps scrubbing us until we go home to be with him. He keeps washing us. 
He keeps sanctifying us. He keeps pouring his spirit out on us. He keeps working with us in our weaknesses and our faults. And in no one's life in the Old Testament is that more visible than in good old Jacob. Because he seems to have a capacity to turn a corner. And such were, in Jacob's case, you, a schemer. Someone who had a tough time telling the truth. And when you look at Jacob's life, you see a lot of people would look at Jacob and go, ah, well, forget it. You know, let's just give up on the guy. I mean, after all, he must really not want to follow the Lord because he keeps stubbing his toe on the scheming thing. This is where we get really thankful for the long-suffering nature of God's love, amen? amen. And the long-suffering nature of his grace, amen? Amen. And the long-suffering nature of how he works with us to wash us and sanctify us. Any of you have dogs that right now have a flea problem? It's like the worst thing in the world. This year is worse than last year, and last year was like epic. Now, I don't know if you have this problem, but see, we can give our dogs a flea bath, and before they get out of the bathroom, they have more fleas. Now, they don't work at getting fleas, but there are fleas in the environment. We have bombed our house, carpet dusted our house. We have nuked our house for fleas, and yet somehow they come in from the grass or something, and the moment we wash our dogs, I'm speaking metaphorically, I'm not calling you dogs, but for the purpose of illustration, the the moment... The moment you scrub the hound, there's a flea back on them. Amen? Now, our dogs don't enjoy the fleas anymore. They, they would like to be fleeless. And so I think there's a picture here for us that we can look at as, as our lives progress in Christ. We, we go, we want to be washed. God's scrubbing on us, but we're in the world. And sometimes we go someplace where there's a lot of fleas and those fleas get on us. Amen? Praise the Lord that he sends us back and gives us another flea bath. Amen? And he washes us and scrubs us. But you got to submit to it. See, I got one dog that goes in the shower real easily, and I got one that's like, I ain't going in there. And you can't make me. And she weighs the better part of 100 pounds. And so when I try and stuff her in there, it's like me and the dog wrestling to get the scrubbing done. Jacob was that dog. He didn't want to go in the shower sometimes. He didn't want a flea bath. He, you know, he, he kind of wanted to avoid the whole process of sanctification at times. He kind of enjoyed hanging out with the fleas. Praise the Lord for the persistence of the dog groomer from heaven. Amen? Who shoves us right back into the shower and pulls the door shut and gets the holy shampoo of the word and dumps that down our backs and starts to scrub and gets the shower wand and like there they go all as it cleans us up again. Praise God for progress. Even when we end up walking through some place where we get a little uh, dirt on us from the world. And so Paul says here, and such were some of you, past tense. Jacob was one of those guys. Paul would put it much the same way as he writes to the church at Ephesus in Ephesians 4. And he said there in verse 17, For this I say therefore and testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles in the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God, because of the ignorance that's in them, because of the blindness of their heart, who, being past feeling, have given themselves over to lewdness, to the work of uncleanness and greediness. But you have not so learned from Christ. And he says, be renewed in the spirit. Let your mind be strengthened. Let your heart be changed and let the righteousness and the holiness of God pervade your life Finally, we come to that place in Jacob's life of full surrender. He's like, 
I'm done running. I'm done trying to stay out of the shower. I'm not going to do it anymore. God, if you tell me to do something, I'm going to do it, and I'm going to do it with a whole heart because I know that you have your very best in plan for my life, and whatever you want, Lord, that's what I want. That's where we are now in Jacob's life. So Genesis 48, verse 1, if you'd turn there, and we'll tackle the whole chapter tonight fairly short and so verse one it says now it came to pass after these things that joseph was told indeed your father is sick and he's not just sick he's, he's going to be gone here in a chapter and a half and he took with him his two sons Manasseh and ephraim and jacob was told look your son joseph is coming to you and Israel, now you can see his name, goes back to Israel, strengthened himself. Uh, everyone knows him as Jacob, but it's becoming very clear that he's starting to function more as Israel than he is as Jacob. And Israel strengthened himself and sat up in bed. And then Jacob said to Joseph, God Almighty appeared to me at Luz in the land of Canaan and blessed me and said to me, Behold, I will make you fruitful and multiply you. And I will make of you a multitude of people and I'll give you this land and to your descendants after you as an everlasting possession. And now your two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, whom were born to you in the land of Egypt before I came to you in Egypt, are mine. As Reuben and Simeon, they shall be mine. Your offspring whom you beget after them shall be yours and they will be called by the name of their brothers in their inheritance. But as for me, when I came from Padan, Rachel died beside me in the land of Canaan on the way, and when there was but a little distance to go to Ephrath, I buried her there on the way to Ephrath, that's Bethlehem, in case you wondered, as we saw earlier in the book of Genesis. And then Israel saw Joseph's sons and said, Who are these? And Joseph said to his father, These, these are my sons whom God has given me in this place. And he said, please bring them to me and I will bless them. And now the eyes of Israel were dim with age so that he could not see. And then Joseph brought them near and he kissed them and embraced them. And Israel said to Joseph, I had not thought to see your face, but in fact, God has also shown me your offspring." God is so good that he can make up for lost time in a very short period of time. Jacob now being referred to as Israel didn't think he'd ever see Joseph again and not only has he seen Joseph but he's seen Joseph's sons. That's how good God is at the work of restoration. As he works in our lives as we submit ourselves to him as we listen to his voice God works sometimes in our latter years greater than he does in our former years. And so Joseph brought them from beside his knees and, and he bowed down with his face to the earth and Joseph took them both, Ephraim with his right hand toward Israel's left hand and Manasseh with his left hand toward Israel's right hand and brought them near. And then Israel stretched out his right hand and laid it on Ephraim's head, who was the younger, and his left hand on Manasseh's head guiding his hands knowingly for Manasseh was the firstborn. Now normally the blessing goes to the firstborn, amen? To the, to the eldest. And he blessed Joseph and he said, God, before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has fed me all my life long to this day the angel who has redeemed me from all evil. And of course, that angel could only be one angel. That's a pre-incarnate a picture of Jesus. Bless the lads. Let my name be upon them. Let the name of my fathers, Abraham and Isaac. And let them grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. And so he's pronouncing the Abrahamic covenant upon these two sons. He's saying, look, God's going to make good on this. This is a man who absolutely trusts the plans of the Lord. And very much like Abraham and Sarah, he's in a place where 
He, he has no other way but to accept what God is doing by faith in his life. And he's acting on it. He's saying, look, I trust God. This is new news for us in the life of Israel, Jacob. This is the first time that we really just see him respond in utter faith. It's like, I, I, I just know God is going to do this. And now Joseph, when he saw that his father's laid his right hand on the head of Ephraim, it displeased him. And this is the only time in the entire account of the, in the book of Genesis in Joseph's life where he's displeased with anyone about anything. And so he took hold of his father's hand to remove it from Ephraim's head to Manasseh's head. And Joseph said to his father, not so, my father, for this one is the firstborn. Put your right hand on his head. And his father refused and said, I know, my son, I know. And he also shall become a people, and he also shall become great. But truly his younger brother shall be greater than he. Not the firstborn, but the younger brother. And again, this is such a beautiful picture of Israel uh, proper the Jewish people in the church his descendants shall become the multitude of nations and so he blessed them that day saying by you Israel will bless saying may God make you as Ephraim and Manasseh and thus he set Ephraim before Manasseh and so we see several things in the life of Jacob as he now comes to the end of his days and the first thing we see is he's finally with everything he's doing, he's glorifying God. And this is one of the beautiful areas of growth in our life, in our walks with the Lord. When you first come to faith in Christ, that distance between you and those old behaviors that you were delivered from, those things you used to be, is not very far in a general sense. In other words, when Paul says there in 1 Corinthians 6, and such were some of you, it was yesterday that some, such were some of you. Amen? We're, we're delivered. God's, by his grace, worked in our lives. But we're not horribly removed from those things which we've been delivered from. And sometimes, because we're not horribly removed, we kind of make some little forays back to those things that we've been delivered from. And while the Bible in no way at any time ever excuses that behavior... It is fairly normal in most people's lives that they are not instantaneously just delivered from everything in their life. Some things go instantaneously. Maybe you had a drug problem, gone instantaneously. An alcohol problem, relationship problem. It might just be taken away like instantly. It's like it's over, it's done, God delivers. But what about that propensity to not tell the truth? Or what about that bitterness or maybe some anger or hatred towards somebody or some long playing thing in your life that you know God doesn't want there, but you do it anyway. And maybe you're not proud of it, but you still kind of cling to it and you often will say something like this, well, it's just who I am. Praise God that he overrules are just, well, that's just who I am. Amen? That he not only can change the circumstances in our life, but he can literally change our personality. We, we live in a world that tries to say you're just simply a byproduct of your environment for the most part. That if certain things happen to you that you're always going to turn out like this. Praise God that in God's economy that's not true. Amen? Because I should be, well... Well, I am actually a little touched, but I should not be a pastor. I shouldn't be someone that has compassion. I should be one of those people that probably doesn't see the light of day because I'm in a jail cell someplace because of the things that happened early in my life, abuse as a child. I should be one of those people that should absolutely hate everybody. And instead, I actually really love people and, and care about what happens to them. So, God works in those ways, but sometimes he does not do that instantaneously. It's a process. And God begins to work with us at the moment we're saved. And finally, when we get down, we're a little bit closer to the end than we are the beginning. The Lord kind of finishes off that work, and we can see that in Jacob's life. And it's a beautiful reminder. Don't think that God 
can't get done what he's trying to do in your life. It may take a long time, but he is faithful to complete in you that which he's begun. Amen? And he is able. He's able to redeem to the uttermost. He's able to change what needs to be changed. He's able to do in your life and my life that which is his perfect will for us. When we submit our way to him, we just say, Lord, I am struggling in this area. Would you change me? We finally see Jacob glorifying God. Every word that comes out of his mouth in this passage is like he's listening to the Lord. He's doing what God wants him to do. He is not wavering. He is not trying to get around it. God said, this is what I want you to do. And he's finally just doing it. And it's such a beautiful picture for us to to cling to. Jacob's now been in Egypt for 17 years. And he's resting kind of on the edge of his bed. And look what he starts thinking about. You, you, can, you can see his life of faith is important to him. He's like, man, God spoke to me when I was at Luz. He's, telling, he's not saying like, well, you know, I kind of wish it had gone like this. He's not bemoaning his past. He's not talking about his difficulties. He's not boasting in the fact that he used to be really good at lying. He's not saying, yeah, remember that one I pulled over on, you know, your parent, you know, I did all this. No, he's just giving glory to the Lord. We can see his faith is just first and foremost in his life, and he's speaking of it with every breath. He uses El Shaddai here. He says, the mighty God. That's who met me on the way. That's the one who's been working in my life. And not some God with a little G that can kind of do a few things. This is the creator of the universe. He's saying, look, I met with God. Now for us, family we get a chance to meet with God. The question is, are you going to let the mighty God change your life and do what he wants to do, or are you going to keep trying to get out of the flea bath? Are you going to keep trying to bust out of the shower like like my dog does? She gets all lathered up. She's like, well, I don't like this part, so I'll get out now. And she does. She, like, sticks her nose and pushes the door open. She's like, Hannah Joy, get back in here. And she kind of turns around and looks at me like, what? Sometimes we're like that with the Lord. It's like, ah, you know, you're getting, this, you're getting a scrub, and it's like, eh, you know, I'm kind of tired of being wet. And, eh. Jacob is no longer a whiner for Jesus, okay? He's actually going, Lord, if you need to scrub me, you scrub me. And because you've scrubbed me, because you've washed me, because I'm now in that state that you want me in, let me testify of the goodness of the Lord. Let my life show that. He's come a long way since he was the schemer, the, the one who thought he was clever and could get around and over and through everything and had some method whereby he was just going to you know, take things into his own hands and do it. And we saw actually the, the same thing happened in the life of Abraham, the same thing happened in the life of Isaac, but it is really visible here. And in essence, he's just simply finishing well. It's a thing that I think about in my own life. As I've gotten older, you know, and I, I, Connie and I were talking about this a couple of days ago. It's like, you know, you, sometimes when you, like, I think for me at like 40 to 60, I was like, I'm just me. But then when I hit 60, it's like, you look in the mirror and you're like, you're going to die soon. This is not, this is not looking good here. You kind of reality hits you that you're no longer, you know, you're on the sunset years are the years you're in now, you know, that kind of thing. And you just, you realize you don't have much time. You know, you kind of, it's like, okay, well, Lord, what are you, what are you going to do now? And I'm not saying I'm going to die, but I want to finish well. I want to finish the race well. I don't want to like drag my moldy carcass over the finish line. You know, I don't want to kind of stumble into the kingdom. You know, I'm one of those people, I, you know, I think about my walk with the Lord and how good God has been. When I get to heaven, I want to be on an uptick. You know what I mean? You know what I'm saying? It's like, I, I, want, to, I want to, it's like, man, why'd you take me out? It was like better at the end than it was at the beginning. That's where Jacob's at. 
He's like, finally, he's just glorifying the Lord with everything he's doing. It's the very same thing that Paul would write to to Timothy in 2 Timothy 4. And he's talking about his own life. He says, I'm already poured out as a drink offering. You know, the interesting thing with a drink offering is it was poured out. It was dumped out. It was literally wasted in that sense. When you made the drink offering, nobody drank it. It was dumped out. Paul's life was dumped out. It was at the end. It was gone. There was nothing left. It was evaporating in the sun of life, if you want to look at it that way. And he would say there in verse 6 of 2 Timothy 4, for my departure is at hand. It's a euphemism for saying, look, I'm a whole lot closer to the end than the beginning. But then he goes on to say, for I fought the good fight. Jacob finally can say, look, I fought the good fight. I've finished the race. I finished the race. I've kept the faith. And finally, there is a treasure laid up for me in heaven. The Apostle Paul says as he writes to Timothy. It's like when you get to that place, you want to finish the race. You don't want to be DQ'd at the end. You, you don't want to be running someplace you're not supposed to go. I don't know if you read this tragic story. This guy's like a 70-year-old guy that was still running marathons. He took his own life because he was disqualified for cheating. He's been running his whole life. And he runs race. He gets caught cheating. And his life is so tied up in in running marathons and half marathons and all these races, he ends up taking his own life. You don't want to get to the end of your life and be in a situation where you're going to do something crazy like that when God wants to get you across the finish line. And we see this in the life of Jacob. He's going to finish well. It should be a goal for each of us to finish well. When you look at these division of the tribes, you can kind of see that Levi's going to be left out here and we'll comment on that. The Levitical tribe of Levi, the, the Levites, the, those that would attend to the needs of the priestly order and be priests themselves, didn't get an allotment in the land. And so they had no inheritance in the land. And so they're left out in the discussion of the tribes because they were set apart under the Lord. They lived in 48 different cities uh, within the land of Israel. And so they're left out. And so we're seeing the formation of the, of the 12 tribes here in this passage. God is going to bless the whole earth through these 12 tribes. And so we see God keeping his promises, sharing his blessings. He, he's like, look, this is what I want you to do. And as God works in our lives there, there are three parts to the Abrahamic covenant that you want to kind of keep an eye on throughout the Old Testament. In the line of patriarchs, Abraham was promised very specifically in Genesis 17 really three things. That he was going to be made a nation. Now, being made a nation also includes the descendants of a very specific people. That would be the Jewish people. He was promised a land that would be the land of Canaan, which is modern-day Israel and a whole bunch of other land that Israel currently does not occupy, but it is roughly the geographic location of modern-day Israel plus parts of Jordan and Lebanon and Syria and parts of Iraq and Egypt and part of the Sinai. And so he promised them this land. He also promised them that he would be a blessing to the whole earth. There's only one way he can do that. That's the Messiah is going to come from this particular blessing. He's laying his hand. He's saying, look, boys, I'm going to bless you. I'm passing this blessing on to you through you. These remaining 12 sons, this blessing is going to be birthed onto this earth. And so the firstborn Joseph was eligible for a double portion and a blessing, and so he switches the sons and makes the younger uh, the inheritor of the blessing. And God does this over and over, did the same thing in David's life. It wasn't the oldest, it wasn't the tallest, it wasn't the smartest, it wasn't the biggest, it was the youngest, the one who was least likely. 
gives us a picture of our own transformation. And so Jacob, verse 21, begins to share these blessings with these kids. And Israel says to Joseph, behold, I am dying. Verse 21. But God will be with you and bring you back to the land of your fathers. Now think about it for a second. Now we don't know it from this context, but we do know it from history. The Jewish people in AD 70, when Flavius Titus comes, Roman emperor eventually, sacks Jerusalem, destroys the temple, fulfills the prophecy that Jesus gave that not one stone would be left on top of another, this place will be left desolate, the Jewish people would be kicked out of the land. Can you imagine somebody thinking about this part of this promise ever being true ever again because the Jewish people were out of the land for almost 2,000 years. Ostensibly, the Jewish people did not inherit again the land or not living in the land until May 14th of 1948. So from A.D. 70 under Titus to 1948, everybody in the world could have gone, well... God messed up. But when God makes a promise, it's incumbent upon God to keep his promise. Amen? So what does he do? After the Jewish people are nearly wiped off the face of the earth in the Holocaust, you would think that was the end of them. Amen? Over six million Jewish people destroyed. Between 75 and 90% of the entire population of the Jewish people on the face of the earth died in the Holocaust. And what happens? God made a promise to the sons of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Jacob's sons, the 12 tribes, that through you, you will inherit the land that was promised to Abraham. You will inherit the blessing that was promised to Abraham, and you will inherit the right to be a blessing to all of the peoples of the earth. Jesus did that. So when the apostle Paul, being a Jew, is sharing the good news of the gospel with those who were Gentile believers, he was busy filling for part of the Abrahamic promise. Said the whole earth is going to be blessed through you. Guess who Paul was? Paul was of the sons of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so... Jacob shares these blessings. He says, look, I don't know how this is going to work out, but God will be with you and he will bring you back to the land of your fathers. And they went in and out for a very long time and they were out more than they were in. And moreover, I have given to you one portion above your brothers, which I took from the hand of the Amorite with my own sword and my bow. And so Jacob says, look, I want to give you Um, what it is that God's given me it's all yours an unexpected gift if you will and that's really kind of how we receive our salvation it's an unexpected gift amen when 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 the Lord reaches into our lives it's not like we're wandering around you know thinking every day it's like wow I just know God's going to bless me no we come to that place where the gospel's preached and we understand that God loves us and all of a sudden wow instantaneously God puts us into that place where we're being transformed. We're being worked on. And so here in the book of Genesis, when, when Joseph saw that his father's hands were, you know, on the wrong head, he, you know, he's, he's like, let me, let me fix this for you. No, 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 no. I know exactly what I'm doing. This is what God wants. And I, for the first time in my life, I'm going to do exactly what God tells me to do. You, you may not get this, Joseph, at this point in time, but you're going to get it. But this is not the only time that we've seen this even in the book of Genesis, and it won't be the last time that we see it as we journey through the Old Testament. God chose Abel, not Cain, amen? God chose Isaac, not Ishmael, amen? Jacob, not Esau, amen? Joseph, not Reuben, amen? And now he's going to choose Ephraim over Manasseh. Because God's in the business of doing things that boggle our minds. We don't understand why he's doing what he's doing. He's God and he does what he wants to do. 
He uses the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And so Jacob just switches hands. Israel switches hands. He says, look, God told me to do this. I'm going to do what God says. There's some great spiritual truths at the end of this passage. God's illustrating a couple of things for, for us. As believers, we worship God in spirit and in truth. Amen? It's not all about us trying to make a, you know, a list of the things that we just check off. And I know this about God. And I know that about God. And I know this about God. And because I know this, I also know this. I don't know if you are outline people, but when I do outlines, you know, I've got my main points, my sub points, and then I've got, you know, all kinds of points underneath my sub points and bullets and asterisks and, you know, notes in the margins. And that's just the way my brain works. When I think of things, I can look at it in an organizational way and it's go like, okay, here's point one and here's point two and here's point three. And here's the things that go along with that. And it's like, boom, boom, boom. That's the way my brain works. Can I tell you, I can't do that with God. God's forever messing with the outline of my life. He like moves stuff around. I come back and it's like, why isn't that there? That was there yesterday. And God says, well, I'm messing with the outline of your life a little bit. I want you to worship me in spirit and truth. Jeff, I want you to trust me. If you could just figure God out all day, every day, then eventually God becomes a process to you. And so you just do a certain amount of things in a certain way and bingo, there's the end. But God doesn't do that, does he? I'll give you a couple examples. You get a diagnosis of cancer. Or somebody in your family goes home to be with the Lord, you don't expect it. Or maybe some financial thing happens, you maybe lose a job you thought you were going to retire from. There's all kinds of things where God just says, look, I don't like your subpoint 1A, and so I'm going to change that because I have a plan for your life and all these things that you thought you had me figured out, Jeff, that's not quite what I'm going to do with you. And so he sticks another point in there. Or maybe takes a whole point out. Or he does something completely out of the ordinary. The reason being is he wants us to walk by faith. He doesn't just want us to pull out our outlines like, okay, it's day 3,654 of my walk with the Lord. And I'm supposed to, you know what I'm saying? Because we're prone to do that, right? We get God figured out, and we just go, okay, he's going to do this, and here's what happened. You no longer need to talk to God. You don't need to listen to God. You don't even need to ask him if it's okay anymore. You're just like, well, yeah, it's on on my list. I'll, I'll get to it, God. No, they that worship him, worship him in spirit and in truth. Amen? John 4. God's illustrating that to the life of Jacob. Jacob, Israel now, could have never figured these things out. During that day and time, the oldest boy had responsibility for the family. This is a God thing. God's doing what God does. God's leading, guiding, directing. And the simple truth of the matter, while God uses our flesh, God uses our gifts, God uses our talents, God uses our skills, he takes all those things... It is never going to be about your skills, your talents, or mine, or anything that we can do or should do or might do for the Lord. It's always going to be actually about him. Our walks with him are a way for us to glorify him, not ourselves, not our skill, not our gift, not our talent. If it was purely on giftedness, the world should have been completely saved a long time ago. Amen? We have technology that we can reach out and share the gospel with people all over the world almost instantaneously. And yet we don't. What's the secret ingredient? It still takes faith. It still takes somebody operating by faith to go share the gospel with somebody. It is not just simply really gifted, talented people that bring people into a right relationship with the Lord. It is by faith that you are saved. God's grace applied to your life It will always be faith. And we see Jacob's faith now being acted out the way it should have been all along. And praise the Lord that that as we look at our own lives, we can kind of examine where we are. And I pray you do this. I do this with myself every once in a while. It's like, Lord, do you want me to actually be doing this? 
You want me to continue in this particular path? This is something I believe you showed me these things. But if you would like to alter my schedule, I'll give you full permission to change anything on it. You know, strangely, sometimes God actually interrupts my schedule. He sends people that are not in my Outlook calendar. You know, I'm pretty good at checking, you know, it's like, okay, I'll I'll open up my Outlook. And it's like, yeah, I got that person, that person, and that person. You know, some of the, the best times that I have before the Lord are people that are not on my calendar. The Lord just interrupts and interjects. And he says, look, this is who I want you to talk to today. Maybe it'll be an email, just some question that somebody has that, you know, it's like an off-the-wall thing. And by faith, I have to trust that God's going to get the rest of the stuff done that he wants me to do. It doesn't mean I've been slack. Doesn't mean I haven't planned. It simply means, God, you're in charge. Run my life however you want to do it. And so my life is now based in my new birth. My new life that I live is my new birth being lived out on this earth. It's like, Lord, I'm yours. In this case, Jacob says, Israel says, the angel who has redeemed me from all evil, God, I want you to bless them. I don't have much to offer, but you bless them, Lord. I don't have much to boast about, but you bless them, Lord. If you're going to make them a multitude, you're going to have to bless them, Lord. Because I can give them all my stuff. I can give them my goats and sheep and cattle. I can give them my farms and fields and barns. I can give them all the stuff that I've accumulated, Lord. But if you don't bless them, then they're not going to be blessed. It's a beautiful prayer for you to pray over your kids, by the way. Lord, bless my children. Make them a multitude. You make them great. God, you do something in their life because I could give them everything, but unless you build them, Lord, they're not going to be what you want them to be. And if they're not what you want them to be, no matter what they have in this life, they're never going to be what they really should be. There's this gift of land that Jacob finally hands over. It's interesting because Rachel is buried in Bethlehem, which is south of Jerusalem by about 35 miles. And now he is going to be buried in in Shechem, which is between um, Mount Gerizim and Mount Ebal in modern-day Nablus, which is about 60 miles north of Jerusalem. And it's there that his well, Jacob's well, and it's the same well that Jesus meets the Samaritan woman at. So there at this, this place where Jacob is about ready to, to go home to be with the Lord. He's, he's about ready to take his last breath. He's saying, look, I want to give you this piece of land that I fought for. And, and I've been kind of hanging on to it. And it's like he finally turns over the last little bit of what he's been hanging on to. It's like, oh yeah, I've got this one chunk of property I forgot to tell everybody about, I, I got it from the Amorites. You guys can have it. I, I'm not worried about it anymore. I, I'm not going to try and spend my grandkids' inheritance. Here, it's yours. And so he just says, look, I, I, Lord, I trust you. I'm giving this stuff to my kids. God, you, you make them great. You do what you need to do. And, and I think the picture of, of this chapter for me personally is it's God that causes growth. It's God that works out good things in our lives. It, it's the Lord ultimately who through his patience works with us exactly as we are. He's the one that started the process. He's the one that's gonna finish the process. And what I see in this chapter is God dealing so patiently with a guy that I would not have been patient with. By nature, I'm not a patient person. My nature is get things done. That's who I am. The core of my being, I'm an A personality. Give me a task and then get out of the way. If you're not gonna help get it done, just go away. Let me finish this. That's who I am as a person but I'm sure glad that God doesn't work that way. Because you talk about an A person, he's an A personality. 
He's the creator of everything, and everything belongs to him. And so he could do anything he wants, but he works patiently with people like me who think that they can get stuff done, who think they have the right answers some of the time, who try and help God out frequently and often. Anybody try and help God out? Good, I'm not the only one. And that God works patiently with us. You can almost see God, he's kind of like the grandfather who sits in the easy chair in the living room and the grandkids come in and, Grandpa, look what we did. And he's like, oh, kids. You know God shakes his head every once in a while when we come into the living room, amen? It's like, Jeffrey, we talked about this last week. Praise God for his patience that he works with us and doesn't cast us off when we mess up that such were some of us. We were in that place to where God couldn't use us. God wouldn't use us. We weren't ready to be used. And so he works with us all along life's journey. And prayerfully we get out there towards the end. Now we can say, look, I, I ran the race. I fought the fight. Lord, I'm ready to come home. Thanks for being patient with me. Thanks for working out all these things in my life. Let's praise God for his patience with Jacob because it makes, makes me understand he's got patience for me. Amen? Would you stand and we'll pray together? Maybe you need prayer tonight or you know, the Lord's put something on your heart. We'll have some of the pastors come up and be available for prayer. But praise God for his patience in our lives. Let's just pray that, that we stop scheming and, and just let God do what he wants to do in our lives. Father, thank you. Lord, thank you for your patience with me. God, in, in my areas of weakness where I just mess up your plans occasionally, I thank you that you don't smack me around, Lord, that you, you don't abuse and mistreat. And Father, you... you tell me I'm wrong and you show me what to do and you give me an opportunity to fix the things that uh, I've messed up and you help me with that and Lord I thank you for each of us that those things that we once were Lord we're no longer under that bondage of the old man we've been set free by the son and we're free indeed and we can live lives Lord that are pleasurable to you pleasing to you useful to you your work your will, your way, your walk, Lord, your word being lived out in our lives. And so, God, we thank you for what you're doing in this church and in our lives collectively. Pray that you would just show us those areas where maybe we've been a little stubborn, God, something that we haven't fully surrendered. Lord, we're kind of being a little bit like Jacob. God, we want to be like this, this man. We want to be like Israel, ready to bless ready to pass along the, the baton to the next generation. Lord, willing to do what you've called us to do and give you the glory for it. And so God, change us and mold us and shape us into the image of Jesus. We pray all this in his wonderful name. Amen. Amen.